Our text this morning is from the Gospel according to John chapter 1, and we will read verses 19 to 28. This is God's word for us today. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they'd been sent from the Pharisees. They, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not even know, even he who comes after me the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Pray with me, friends. Father, again, again, we open your word, and we ask you, Father, help us worship you. Help us Help us praise you, help us learn from you, help us grow and respond to your revelation of yourself. God, please save souls, please change lives, please make us into your people. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You can be seated. Question for you. How many of you have ever heard a parent tell a child, you would make a fine door, but you are a terrible window? Have you all ever heard that before? What is a child doing if you say to the child, you would make a fine door, but a terrible window? Who can tell me? They're doing what? Standing in front of the TV, particularly, right? That's what it was used when it was used on me anyway. If a child, children have an innate capacity and propensity to want to stand right in front of the thing you're trying to look at and they cannot be seen through. The point of the parent is, I can't see through you. You're not a window. Well, today, there's going to be the call of God on your life and on my life, get this, to be a window, not a door. Because God did not design you or me to point to ourselves or to try to have other people see us. Instead, God created us to be windows for God's glory. Windows that show other people the truth of the glory of Jesus. Over the past couple of weeks, we worked through the prologue of the gospel according to John. And it's a rich set of 18 verses And it sets before us the key themes, the key ideas that you see as you watch the story of John's gospel unfold. And in that section, John pointed out to us, the gospel writer John pointed out to us, that John the Baptist was going to come and point people to Jesus. 
If you look up at verse 6, it says, um, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Then verse 15 says, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. I want you to think of those verses like a movie trailer or preview. You guys ever watch that? Like you, you, you see the clips and it gives you an idea of what the movie's about. But in this instance, we're not just watching the clip. Now, the story has started and it's time for us to see what those were pointing us toward. And what those are going to show us is that John the Baptist's whole purpose, his whole ministry was to point people to Jesus. And I'm going to remind you, and God's Word's going to remind us all, that it's our job to point people to Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to give you four points to write down. If you're a note taker, there are four things to write down to help you look at John the Baptist and John's ministry. So that reminds me, Mitzi, did, I, did we forget to tell the people that there are Bibles that they can, those little ESB Johns? It's out there in the back. Okay, so if you didn't notice, on the table in the back, there are those little journaling copies of the ESV. If you guys want one of those to use for this, it's a great place to write your notes if you want it. So just, I, I, I forgot, I should have told you earlier, so, but feel free to grab one now if you want. It's okay. But let's get started here with our first of four points. First one, ready? Live differently to point to Jesus. Live differently to point to Jesus. We should look at the beginning here. Verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? So, if the prologue of the gospel, according to John, if that is the preview to the movie, here we begin to see the opening scenes. The prologue began by pointing you to eternity past. In the beginning was the Word, right? The prologue promised you that the Word who was with God, the Word who is God, was going to come into the world. But before that Word would come into the world, the witness to the Word the one who would testify about the word, the one who would point other people to the word, that one was going to be the first one on the scene. And as the first dramatic scenes open, we see John the Baptist. This is not Matthew's telling of the story. This is not Luke's telling of the story. We don't see how John dressed. We don't hear about his weird diet. We don't Watch John talk to Roman soldiers and tax collectors. Those are all true things that John just didn't want to write them down for us here. This telling of the gospel begins with John the Baptist working hard to be a window and not a door. He wanted to show people Jesus and not point people to himself. But the opening scene here is kind of dramatic. The questions are a little bit hostile. And John has to speak clearly to get his point across. Now, 
the first thing that we see in today's passage is that a delegation of men from Jerusalem, from the religious leadership of the Jews, has come to ask John a question. They asked John one simple question. Who are you? Now, quick side note, because some of you guys like side notes. It's an interesting thing. John, the gospel writer, talks here about priests and Levites, but he doesn't mention the Sadducees. Isn't that interesting, you say? In the synoptics, the Sadducees represent a very significant force in the culture of the day. The Sadducees are the politically power religious liberals of Jesus' day. But by the time the Apostle John wrote this gospel, which I think is at the end of the first century, the temple has fallen, and I think the Sadducees are absolutely irrelevant because they don't have any religious power anymore. And that very well could be why John doesn't even see fit to mention them. Okay, we've got a group from Jerusalem, and they want to know just who John the Baptist thinks he is. Why are they asking that? This is not them asking for his ID. They're not asking John to produce one of those, um, what do you call those weird DNA tests that you give so you, people tell your ancestry or whatever. They're not asking John for that. They knew who John's father was. He was a priest named Zechariah, a fairly important religious dude. But the question here is not about John's name or pedigree. The Jews want to know from John, what role do you play in redemption history? John the Baptist was, was saying things and he was doing things that got the attention of the world around him. John preached a message that was different than the message coming from his culture. John lived a lifestyle that was different than the lifestyles of the culture around him. John's hope was found somewhere different than where many people around John look for their hope. John valued things that the people around him did not value. John spoke out. John challenged the culture. John challenged the people around him to turn from their sin and turn to the Lord to be prepared for the coming of the Savior. And there were large crowds going out into the desert to be baptized and to hear John. And I believe if we will pause for a second in the story, we can see a call that you and I should get that we should follow John's example. Because we want to be people who point others to Christ just like John did. So what do we do? Well, what do you think? Do you guys think maybe what we should do is go out and live in the desert? Would that be the way? Okay, we already do is what I just heard from over here. That's true. That's true, I guess. Do we need to dress weird? Well, again, I hope not. Some already do. Do we need to eat locusts and wild honey? I'm hoping no, right? I'm hoping no. Though, again, I mean, you never know. With some of y'all, y'all organic stuff, I'm, they're probably gluten-free. So I hope that's not what we got to do. But think with me for a second. Isn't it true that our culture already embraces strange behavior? Our culture loves the weirder you are, man, the more they're into you. So being weird just to be weird is not the way. You do not stand out to our culture by just looking weird. What stands out in our culture is when you preach and you live a message different 
than the values of the world around you. You call people to live differently, think differently, hope differently, and you will get their attention. If you choose not to leap with the world into the sin that the world loves, it's going to stand out. If you refuse to applaud what the world tries to command you to embrace, that'll stand out. You tell people that they need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ to be saved, that'll stand out. If you want to point people to Jesus, friends, I'm going to urge you to live so differently that people will actually want to know what in the world you're all about. Again, think with me. Why would anybody want to hear your answer to life's ultimate questions if your life doesn't look any different than their life? Why would somebody come to you for answers if you're doing everything that they do, if you, if you dress like them, if you chase after the same sorts of entertainment that they do with no exceptions, why would they think you've got anything to say to them about a God who is holy and pure and loving? If you live and your whole life's purpose is only for vacation, you all know any people who act that way, by the way? If you live and your whole life's purpose is only for video games or for food or for anything but work, if you live and the only purpose of your life is for work, you know what? You don't look different than them. If you're irresponsible at your job, if you're dishonest in business dealings, if you're greedy, if you're rude to those who work around you, if you, if you step on other people to try to get ahead, why would anybody think you've got something to say to them about a God of love who cannot abide sin? Why would, you, why would, you, why would they think that you know anything about a God who can't lie if you're a liar? Why, why would anybody believe you about an eternity that is worth infinitely more than the junk this has to offer if all you live for is the junk this world has to offer. If the only time you can make it to church is when it's convenient for you, why would the world believe that you think this is a place where you worship the only God there is? If all you are is focused on self, if all you do is cry out for rights and you can't get over it if you feel wronged, if all you do is demand to be heard by others and place your interest above those of others, if all you do is gripe and whine and be nasty every time you feel the slightest injustice towards yourself, why would anybody believe you've got anything to say to them about a God who makes our petty struggles in this life as if they are nothing when compared to his surpassing glory? Why would they believe you when you tell them about Jesus, the Son of God, who laid aside his rights and made himself nothing, who took on human flesh, who sacrificed his life to save their soul? Why would they believe you if you look like them? The fact is, if you want the world to be able to hear your message, you can't completely look like them. You've got to value things they don't value. 
You got to look at earthly treasures as the temporal, passing, fading things that they are. Earthly treasures, earthly beauties, earthly joys, they're good things and they are intended by God to point you to God. That big stake I talked about in Sunday school, it's intended to remind you that God's the giver of all good gifts. It's not intended to be your life's purpose. If people see you delighting in the things of this world and not in the God who created you, they're not going to see you looking different than them. And if they see you looking hopeless because the election didn't go your way, if they see you looking hopeless and just angry because, oh, the government's unjust to me, they're going to think that your hope is found in exactly the same place as theirs is. So, listen to me. Do you want to point to Jesus? You got to live differently. You got to hope differently. You got to find purpose in a different place and live a life that gets the world's attention, not by being weird, but by being truly different and opening a window for them to see the character, the beauty, and the glory of God. So live differently so that people will want to know who this Jesus is you serve. With me so far? Okay. Point number two. Point number two. Be humble when you serve Jesus. Be humble when you serve Jesus. Verses 20 to 22 say, He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So the religious leaders, they've got a couple options in their minds as to who John could be. One of the options that they have for John is maybe he's the Christ. Maybe he's the anointed one. Maybe he's the Messiah. They want to know, John, are you the guy that God has been promising who's going to come and crush the devil and rescue a people for God? Nope. (laughs) John emphatically said, that is not who I am. Then another option they say is John might be Elijah. In Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, we hear these words, the last words of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction But John says, he's not Elijah. What did John mean? John says, look, I am not Elijah who went up to heaven and came back down. I'm not a reincarnation of or return of Elijah. Many of the Jews believe that since Elijah didn't actually physically die, but was caught up to heaven, and they think, hey, you know, Malachi said Elijah's coming before the day of the Lord. They, they thought, hey, physically Elijah's going to come back. The literal Elijah's going to come back. That's why even today, Jewish families will leave an empty chair at the table at Passover for Elijah, just in case he happens to show up. What's interesting about John saying he's not Elijah is, and he was totally honest, by the way, but a few years from now, Jesus is going to be asked about John the Baptist and is going to tell the disciples that John is Elijah. 
Not literally, but figuratively. John ministered like Elijah. He played the role of Elijah. He ministered in the spirit and power of Elijah. Matthew eleven thirteen to 14, Jesus says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So like the promised Elijah, John is a prophet, the last Old Testament prophet, and he will call the people to get ready for the arrival of the Messiah. Now that role that John played, his job, that was an Elijah role. But John wasn't physically Elijah come back. Now, one more option the Jews had for John. Maybe he's, quote, the prophet. That comes from a thing that Moses said in Deuteronomy. If you look, you don't have to turn there, but Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Now, John the Baptist says he's not going to declare himself to be, quote, the prophet. So all three of those figures, guys, Messiah, Elijah, the prophet, they were expected by the Jews. They asked John, John, are you one of those guys? And John flatly denies it. I'm not any of those guys. John's not about being any guy. He's not about making a name for himself. John is not about claiming a rank for himself. John is only about one thing. John wants to point people to Jesus. That's his job. That's what he's going to do. And here, let's pause the story and let's learn from this, guys, from John's behavior. Y'all think about what John could have done if he'd answered those questions any differently. How famous do you think John would have gotten if he had started saying, well, you know what, I actually am this guy or that guy. You think that would have upped his status in society? Yeah. All John had to do is say yes and claim a title that they had already been suggested. Maybe you're him, huh? Is that who you are? Oh, you got me. But John chose to be as humble as John could be. John chose to point away from himself and to focus on the Savior. Let me ask you, have you ever noticed how easy it is to claim to be good sometimes? You know, sometimes somebody will see you life, and if you don't look like them, if you don't act like them, they might try to build you up. Oh, man, you are so dedicated. You you went with your church to another state to to help some other church in need? Whoa, you must be some kind of missionary. That must have been so tough for you. You're so giving. What a good person you are. Wouldn't it be kind of easy to, you know, just kind of lay back and take on your pious air and say, you know... Yeah, it was a pretty big sacrifice I did right there. I got up. I got up this morning. I left the house at just 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Can you believe that? I didn't sleep in. I'm missing the football game. I am about Jesus. You know, I'm just trying to do my part. It's, It's not easy being as holy as me. It's not easy being as dedicated as I am. Why, yes, in fact, I am a missionary. Would you like my autograph? You think that's the way we ought to be? I don't think so, do you? Maybe instead of pretending to be a super dedicated, super holy person, 
Maybe you should try being honest about who you are. Now again, I'm not saying don't receive kind words from people. You can say to somebody, thank you so much for the encouragement. Thank you for the kind words. But if they really want to know, you can tell them, I'm not at all special. (laughs) Dedicated, good. (laughs) No, no. I was dead in my sins and transgressions. There was nothing good about me at all. I was an enemy of God's. I was opposed to all things holy. But God reached down and God changed my heart. He drew me to Christ. He forgave me the chief of sinners. And God, through Jesus Christ, is the source of any goodness you ever see in me. See, that points away from you. And that points to Jesus. Try not to do things that point to you. What can we do to do that? Some people dress for attention. You know any people that dress for attention? Are you one of those? Be careful there. Don't, don't, don't show off to make people be impressed by how you look. Don't show off so they'll be impressed about what you've gone through. Don't, don't complain about how tough your circumstances are so people will think, oh, wow, you are so good for all that you endured. Just do everything you do for the glory of Jesus Christ. Point people to Jesus. I'm nothing. Jesus, he's impressive. Jesus, he's everything. Jesus is the one you want to get to know. Jesus is the only good that you will ever find in me. It's all about Jesus and Jesus and more Jesus. Never pretend that this life is about you. It's Jesus's story. It's his glory unfolding throughout history and you and I we have the privileges to be windows who open to Jesus who's the star of the show third point number three prepare people to meet Jesus prepare people to meet Jesus verses 22 and 23 so they said to him who are you We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So the religious leaders, they ask who John is. And John responds with scripture. He cites Isaiah 40, starting at verse 3. I want to read that to you a little more. Isaiah 43 through 5 says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isn't that glorious verse to read? In, the, in this season, I don't, have any of y'all listened to the Messiah this season? Because that's right there in more than one spot in Handel's beautiful, beautiful music. But that passage tells about God. He's going to come to his people. And the prophet says, there's going to be a man who calls out in the wilderness, get ready to meet God. Make the path of God's coming smooth and straight. Clear the path. 
Remove the boulders, cut down the trees, fill in the valleys, make ready to meet your God. Now, again, do you all think that John the Baptist was promoting a highway building project here? No. He's not getting tunnel diggers and work crews. John's telling the people who lived in Israel, I want you to get ready to meet God. I want you to look at your life and I want you to ask yourself this question. What in my life would be inappropriate for the coming of God? Whatever in my life would be inappropriate for the coming of God, it's a boulder in the road. It's got to be blown up. John says his role is to be the person who's been sent to call Israel to be ready for the Messiah to step on the stage. And again, pause the story and let's learn. Think about John's role. As we think about John's role, we can see that a call to prepare to meet the Lord, that's a call we need to both hear and a call we need to share. We need to hear it and we need to share it. You and I, friends, need to call other people to get ready to meet God. That's your job, Christian. Just like John. We know that the kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is coming, right? You agree with me? Thank you. You guys got to talk talk back to me louder. This room's too noisy. (laughs) Just the sounds, bigger room. Jesus is going to return to this earth. You guys understand that? Yes. yes, thank you. Jesus is going to set up an eternal kingdom that he brought at his first coming. Jesus is going to reward those who follow him. And Jesus is going to destroy the wicked. We need to tell the world about this coming day. Jesus is coming And we want to tell the world, please be ready for the king. Now, if you've never taken shelter in Jesus Christ, you've got to do that before he returns or you die and you meet him in judgment. Because either way, you've got got to be ready. By the way, that's what evangelism is, isn't it? It's not telling people about some made-up, soft-hearted, little fuzzy-feeling God who has a wonderful plan for their lives, who's going to fix their marriages, straighten out their finances, and clear up their acne. It's about telling people, listen, you are worth a lot, but you are in great danger of great judgment, and the only escape you have is Jesus Christ. And I really, really urge you, come to Jesus before it's too late. In Jesus are delights forever. That doesn't mean he's going to make you rich in the here and now, but there are eternal joys if you'll come to him. So please get ready to meet your God. But wouldn't we be remiss if we didn't look at our own hearts? Are you, are you right here ready to meet God? Are you watching us on Facebook ready to meet God? God. And I'm not just asking you if you're saved, though that's important. Are you working with God to be sanctified? Are you working day by day and step by step to repent of sin so that you're ready and more ready and more ready to meet Jesus? 
What are the boulders that need to be cleared out of the road in your life? What valleys need to be filled in on the pathway of your heart? Are you a proud person? Are you selfish? Are you constantly seeking attention? Those are boulders that have to be blown up and taken out of the way, replaced with smooth highway that points to Jesus alone. Are you lustful? Are you watching pornography on the internet? Are you in an unmarried relationship that's anything less than 100% pure? Are you imagining what it would be like to have a different spouse? Those are treacherous valleys. Fill them in if you're going to be ready to meet God. Are you the kind of person that's still fighting to get your way all the time? Do you put your agenda forward? You're trying to put others' opinions and others' concerns down in the process? Those are curves in the road you've got to straighten out. Do you neglect prayer time? Do you only read the scriptures at Bible study? Do you skip or sleep through worship? Those are hills you've got to flatten. Get your life ready for God's eternal kingdom. How do you do it? You get ready first by receiving Jesus. And it means you get ready by repenting of sin. That was John's call to the people. That's God's call to you. And that's got to be your call to the world that's outside you. But you might ask me, what gives me the right to call anybody to change? Who gives you the authority to confront somebody with their need for a savior. We're going to see the answer to that in the last point, point number four. Live under the authority of Jesus. Live under the authority of Jesus. Look at the last verses, 24 to 28. Now they'd been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So this group asked John one more question. If you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, what gives you the right to baptize anybody? They're saying, John, under whose authority are you performing this very clearly religious ceremony? (laughs) John's answer probably surprised him a little bit. John says, you think this is something? Wait until you see who's coming. See, I'm baptizing with water, that's true, but I'm preparing the way for somebody great. I'm not even worthy to untie this guy's shoes. John's saying, I'm not worthy to be this man's lowliest slave. I can do what I'm doing now. I can call people to turn from their sins. I can call people to prepare the way for the Lord. I can baptize them in water because of of the one who is coming after me. He is the one with the authority, and he's the one who wants me to do this. You see what John does? He points to Jesus. 
Now, John hadn't even identified Jesus by name yet here, but he's pointing to Jesus as the one who has the authority. Jesus is the one to come. Jesus is the one who authorizes what John does. So for you and for me, we're authorized by God to call people to get ready to meet God just like John was. How do I know that? Joe read it for us earlier today. What did Jesus say to us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20? Jesus claimed that all authority in heaven and on earth was his, and then he said to you and to me, go make disciples. So we do what we do in the authority of Jesus Christ. We don't do what we do in our own authority. We don't have any authority. We don't have we don't have rights, guys. I mean, again, I'm not saying we don't have rights as humans in general, but look, you gave up your right for some sort of self-determination or be the boss of your life. You gave up your rights when you came to Jesus Christ. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. You are God's property. And so the only rights you have are the rights God says you have. And we do what we do because of the authority Jesus has. But if we're pointing people to Jesus, we are calling them with the authority of God himself. That should give you confidence to share the gospel boldly. Now, real quick, I want to just do a quick sort of doctrine thing. What was John doing? Well, again, you tell me, what was John doing? He was baptizing people, right? What did that mean? I would suggest to you that what John was doing is actually not the same thing as believers' baptism in the church. If you read Acts 19, 1-7, you will see a clear example that there's a difference between John's baptism and baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John's baptism wasn't what we do. Instead, it had to be mirroring something in line with the Old Testament. And what it was, by the way, is something scholars will debate. They kind of argue over what, what, what's, the, what's the, the pattern for what John was doing. There are scholars who would tell you that John's baptism is like the priestly washings in the Old Testament. And that makes sense. Some people say, you know what? It's not the priestly washings. It's, it's like Jewish proselyte baptism. When someone wanted to be a Jew, they had to be washed in a ceremonial way. Well, again, that, that kind of works, but some scholars disagree as to whether or not that was even happening in John's day. Well, what does it really sound like? I'll tell you what it sounds like to me. Now, again, honestly, guys, I'm going to be really, really clear with you here. This is kind of me on my own, so don't tell anybody I said it, okay? Two of you thought that was funny. I'm glad. Uh, what I think it mirrors most, and you can tell me if you like this or not. Try it on. I think it mirrors what the nation of Israel did at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. See, John is calling the people, get ready, God's coming. And then in Exodus 19, if you think back, Moses, by the command of God, calls the people of Israel to do the very same thing. Listen to what it says, Exodus 19, 10 and 11. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. Uh, them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments 
and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So what did the people have to do to be ready to meet God when God was going to give the Ten Commandments? They had to prepare themselves with repentance, with consecration, and they had to wash. They had to do that stuff to get ready to meet God. They had to clean up because the king was coming. And I think that more than anything else reflects what John was doing in the Jordan River. I think it really is a fair parallel. The people were about to see God Jesus was about to be publicly revealed and they needed to be ready. They needed to turn away from their sins. They needed to be symbolically cleaned up so they could greet God when he came. Now, do you understand why I said that's not what baptism is in the church today? That's not what we do when we baptize people. New Testament baptism is not about making you clean. New Testament baptism is about displaying in a public way, I have trusted in Jesus. It's about testifying, I have been buried with Jesus and I've been raised to new life with Jesus. That's why when we baptize people, we put them all the way under the water and we bring them all the way up because it reminds people that Jesus really died and came all the way back to life. You're saying when you're baptized, There's an old sinful me who has died with Jesus and there's a new person raised to life in Christ. Romans chapter 6 verses 3 and 4 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. John's baptism, John's baptism was a call to get cleaned up so that you can meet God. Christian baptism is a symbolic act of obedience declaring I have died to my sin and made alive by Jesus' finished work. So like John, like John, we call people in the authority of Christ to prepare to meet God by coming to Jesus. After someone comes to Christ, that's when we baptize them, displaying the fact that a change has happened in their spiritual lives. All right, let's wrap up. Are you a door or are you a window? Do people see you or do they see through you to Jesus? Are you an arrow that points people to Jesus? Are you a billboard of self-promotion? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Today I call you to prepare yourself for the coming of your king. Jesus is going to come to earth again, and none of us knows when that will be. Are you ready? To be ready, come to Jesus, believe in him, ask Jesus to give you grace, and place your trust in Jesus for salvation. If Jesus has changed your life, You need to become a testimony to the world of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Baptism, Christian, is the first step that you take to tell the world that you have been changed by Jesus. And I would say, if you're a believer and you've never been biblically baptized, I would urge you to obey that command. 
But being baptized is only the first step. Let every believer take stock of his life or her life, look at your life, make the crooked straight, and prepare for the coming of the king. Then you can be a window through whom other people see Jesus. Will you pray with me, friends? Father, thank you for your word. You are good, and we are grateful. And Lord, I pray that you will take hold of our lives and make us genuinely windows to Jesus. Help us to learn from John the Baptist and his example. Help us to obey your commands. Help us tell people of the great love of Jesus. Lord, I pray you'll make us faithful in all things that you might be preeminent above all. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to be your faithful church. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.